Hey, Susanna. Hey, Debbie. <laughs> how you doing? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you know, pretty good. It's a pretty windy day. It is a windy day, though. Yeah. Look at the trees. Look. They're flying all around. It really does feel like crispy and fall. I, my heat kicked in today. I wish our heat had kicked in today. My partner's like, no heat before October 15th. You see, that would have been me, but I forgot to like lower my thermostat. Well, whenever. You know, weren't you glad that the heat kicked on, though? You were like, oh, I'm not cold. I'm literally in a puffer jacket in my house because our heat is not on. I mean, you're, you're in a puffer jacket in your house because it's like, you, you came from a very warm place, right? I did. I'm from Texas originally. It's true. Is that right? Yes. Deep in the heart of... Oh, 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 yes. Mm-hmm. I'm not yep. just applauding. I here. was not sure what was happening there. <laughs> it's like, I will take the applause if you want to... I mean, I don't think being from Texas is applause-worthy, but... I mean, well, I mean, isn't everything, like, bigger <clears throat> in Texas? It is, yeah. For the most part, yeah. Except for solar incentives. No! Oh, snap! Oh, Did snap! Did you just... I can't believe you just bridged the wind to <laughs> our, our episode today. This is good. This feels good. I mean, I'm kind of kidding, but also not kidding. I mean, because mm. New York and Vermont have some of the best incentives in the country mm. for solar. Yes, a yes. lot of people don't realize that, but, you know, we we have some of the best incentives. And as a result, we have a lot of solar being installed. Yeah, which is a good thing. And, you know, we've also got a big problem on our hands, you know, this uh, this whole climate crisis. So we've yep. got to act quickly to get, you know, to get more solar on more homes. Yeah. Yeah, and a lot of it is actually not in what we do. You know, we do small residential and small commercial projects, but we we really need to accelerate the size of our projects. So like hundreds of acres kind of projects, mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a lot of what is being applied for and being installed right now. It is what is going to accelerate our ability to, to be a clean energy run state very soon. And... That's what we're going to talk about this week. Is bigger really better? Well, let's get into it. Here we go. So I spoke a couple weeks ago with our good friend John Bowermaster over in Kingston. He has a great podcast called The Green Radio Hour. He does with Radio Kingston. Check it out. And yeah, Radio Kingston and John Bowermaster, both great friends of ours. We love the work that they both do. Yeah. We actually, we just did a a solar project for Radio Kingston. Rather large one. Yeah. All right. It's so cool. I I really hope they start talking about it more because it's... Maybe we'll do an episode about it. Oh, yeah, we should. It's actually an incredible project. Let's do it. It's really serving the community. Anyway. Let's definitely do a Radio Kingston episode. Okay, so I was talking to John a couple weeks ago because there is a proposed solar project over in Copake mm-hmm. uh, that is 360 acres. So that's actually pretty huge. That's and a lot of local folks are opposing it. They really don't want it going in. And he was asking me as a solar insider, do we really need these projects? I mean, 360 acres, that's huge. That's huge. Why can't we use existing rooftops instead of taking up our beautiful landscape? I mean, that's a that's a fair it's a fair point. You know, one of the most precious things about living in the Hudson Valley, as I'm discovering, I mean, or Vermont, is that we have a be- bunch of beautiful scenery. It's a, it's a big part of our economy as well. Tourism folks coming in to like be in nature, escape the cities that they live in. We've you know traditionally historically been a grower of many crops. It's like a really great place. And why don't we're... forget the foliage? Don't forget that yes, the leaf peepers. I know this is like a thing now. I'm adjusting. We're we're T minus three and a half weeks to peak foliage in Hudson Valley, probably. Oh nice. That's awesome. Probably so, less in Vermont. That's great. 
Um, and why would we want to ruin that gorgeous you yeah. know, landscape with ugly solar, especially when there are so many buildings that already have bare flat rooftop space that would be perfect for solar. So like I get I get the pushback, mm-hmm. you know, from a, yeah. from a face value. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question, although I don't think solar is ugly. But anyway, yeah, no, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> Putting that aside. Um, you know, a lot of people posing these questions are generally saying, you know, we love solar, we support solar, it's great, we want clean energy, but this just isn't the right place. Hmm, yeah, it sounds like a, a NIMBY, which is like a thing that I've just learned since working here, a NIMBY concept, a not in my backyard kind of argument. It was the classic response to development that folks say they're in support of on one hand, but like not when it's close to where they live. And if that becomes widespread, then the developments that are actually supported by most people kind of like never happen because it's really only supported if it doesn't directly impact anyone, which is impossible. It's like a contradiction of the NIMBY mental mode. Yes. (laughs) I want it somewhere else. (laughs) Yeah. I want it, just not here. Just not here. Yeah. But then everyone says that. Right. And so where is where is So it's nowhere. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Especially in light of that definition, it does seem like kind of a NIMBY response, but I don't want to be dismissive. And I feel like people often label things like this NIMBY because they're just sort of like rolling their eyes and saying like, ah, it's just NIMBYism, you know? I totally get that new technology isn't always embraced and solar is still new, you know? It's up to us to try and cross that bridge better. So I wanted to do a guide on this week's podcast for folks who are getting solar proposed in their communities. Because I actually think that communities can use these deals to leverage really good stuff for themselves, their communities, and the planet. Okay. So, so first of all, something we often hear in this argument is that solar is damaging to the environment and the community. It hurts birds. It pollutes waterways with runoff. It's bad for wetlands, etc., etc. Right. But none of that is true. It's often a, a non-starter because solar is completely silent, right? It doesn't leak or drip doesn't create runoff issues, it doesn't pollute, it has zero emissions, installations generally require far less site disturbance than like say building the house that it's even installed on, uh, or you know in this case a huge project. I mean it feels like that complaint even on its face is a total non-starter. Yeah and what we find in permitting smaller arrays that we do is that what these arguments really come down to is that people simply don't want to look at it. And so they find any excuse that seems more worthy. And when each one gets debunked, if it turns out, oh, well, it doesn't hurt birds, then they just move on to the next thing. Well, it must hurt frogs. It interrupts migration patterns of salamanders. Like, hey, we actually have a night, like several nights every spring where people go out in the roads and help salamanders cross the road. Oh, cute. Yeah, and if you're involved in your you know, local environmental group here in the Hudson Valley, you know those nights and you go out and you do it. Like, sir, ma'am, complaining about migration routes of <laughs> wetland creatures. Were you out there? Yeah, did you spring? help Did you sal- care, actually? <laughs> Won't someone think of the Salamander Support Group? And also, like, I'm sorry, but even on its face, like, complaining that solar is ugly. So, like, really, these coal plants are just so aesthetically pleasing that we would rather have those in their place. I just don't get it. And like, look, there's also this argument when they say like, it's noisy. And then they find out that they're silent. Suddenly they become the biggest advocate for salamanders, right? Or like, mm-hmm. whatever. It's like this this thing just rolls downhill. The exactly. argument just keeps on kind of rolling and rolling and rolling. And the I don't want to look at it argument is complicated. Because 
look around us right now, like you're saying with the coal, coal-fired power plant. If we attempted to permit all the fossil fuel infrastructure we have today, would it pass on that basis? Mm, right. You know, could you look down our pristine country road here and say, I'm going to put in a 30-foot tall wooden pole every 50 feet and string up a bunch of black lines on it. And then every so often, I'm going to put a transformer, which is actually quite noisy. Like the people who live across the street from it can hear it if their windows are open. Absolutely. Um, Nobody would want to look at that. Nobody would say like, sure, that's unobtrusive and I will not see that after a period of time. If you had to permit the infrastructure we have now, it would never pass on that basis. And yet, there it is. It's all around us and we don't even see it. So my point here is that new things like solar, like wind, they feel like bigger eyesores than what they really are because in time, we will get very used to seeing clean energy infrastructure the same way that we have totally normalized seeing our energy infrastructure now. I love that. And building on that, looking at solar panels, like regarding them in your landscape, it's just, it's a pretty small price to pay for the benefit. Consider the existing fossil fuel, you know, what the existing fossil fuel infrastructure does. Like, of course, it's also really ugly it's to look so at. ugly like those <laughs> giant monoliths yes and it's not just power lines and transformers as you're mentioning it's those monoliths right like they also actually harm the communities that they're in yes. by making the local environment even more unsafe it's no coincidence that communities around fossil fuel plants have higher rates of asthma and cancer solar doesn't have any of those health consequences and it has zero emissions yes that is such a powerful argument to me because we're doing this for climate, yes, mm-hmm. and we're also doing it for justice. Right. And we don't have to look into the future to see the harms that fossil fuels are already causing, right? Like so many people are saying climate change is coming. It will harm us in the future. Fossil fuel infrastructure and pollution, it's already harming us right now. Yep. And that infrastructure is here right now, and it is mostly in black, brown, and in indigenous communities. Mm-hmm. So the fact that there are consequences to this energy infrastructure can seem like this is a new concept for our community in the mostly rural, mostly white Hudson Valley and Vermont. But in fact, communities of color have been dealing with these consequences since that infrastructure was built, like right now. Mm -hmm. And those consequences aren't just, wow, this ugly thing is in our community. It's ruining my view. It's I'm dying. My kids are dying. Having to look at solar panels, it just feels like such a small trade-off to keep everyone healthy. 100% agreed. That is totally true. I also, I want to push back on the notion that solar panels destroy a view. Because like, we're at my house right now. Just to take my house as an example, mm-hmm. I have a seasonal view of the Catskills that I love when all of the leaves die off and go away. I get a little peak of the mountains. Um I adore it. I love that. It helps me look forward to winter. Um, But, you know, that view is only possible because my neighbors have a big open field. I'm not up on a hill or something. You know, it's not like the spectacular, amazing valley view or something. So if my neighbor decided to use their land to build something in between me and the mountains, and they would be very allowed to do that (laughs) within local zoning and planning laws, you know, I would no longer have a view. Like they absolutely could put a house right there and I would no longer have a view. But solar panels, on the other hand, they're much, much shorter than a typical building. You know, we're talking like six or seven feet tall. If they filled up that field next to me with solar panels, I could still see the mountains. Mm. And in fact, in a way, it would preserve my view for 25 years or whatever the lease period was 
because nothing else would be built there. I oh couldn't gosh. have a neighbor for 25 years. I would just have these short little solar panels and I could keep my view. I never even thought of that of that as like a, a pro. It's like that cool thing of like keeping the neighborhood like shorter, yeah. like you know, height shorter. You know what I'm saying? Like zone, zone like lower and keep the view. I like that a lot. Okay, but like despite all of this, there's still, you know, many or many even most communities who say solar is great, but we don't want it here. We don't want to look at it, you know, and very often they have uh, they have complaints that these are like big mega companies, like the people who are installing the big community solar array funded by investors who claim to be community oriented companies. And they don't consult with the communities and they try to ram through these projects without any dialogue at all. And like that feels awful if someone's coming in like an exogenous force is coming in from outside and changing your community that could feel like an invasion of source and like that is a is a point isn't it like shouldn't developers be working in concert with communities holistically yeah i mean this is definitely a tricky one you know from the community side of course work with us consult us create a project that works for us you know, it's going to be with us for 25 years. You, developer, move on to the next project, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and yes, let's be wary when profit is the biggest motivator of all of this. On the other hand, most communities, when they engage with developers, they aren't really looking for compromise. They're looking to stop the project. Mm -hmm. And if you go to these meetings, and you hear these questions and you see the community switching their tactics as they get debunked and their their complaints and their concerns as they get knocked down as a developer you quickly grow tired of that type of you know quote unquote engagement right because you're not talking to someone who actually wants to make something work and as a developer you've identified whatever place this is you know as a good site you know a the owner is interested mm -hmm. and will take the terms you can offer them B, it's close to the right utility infrastructure and won't cost a ridiculous amount to upgrade existing infrastructure. C, it's workable land. You know, it's it's appropriate to install the solar on. So the fact that the community is coming in and saying, nope, this is a bad site. Well, actually, no, it's not a bad site. And you wouldn't know, right? The developers already put a ton of energy and research into this. So they know it's a good site. So what are you saying when you're saying it's a bad site? Well, you're actually saying, I just don't want to look at this thing. And the alternative, which is already hurting BIPOC communities, is just fine. Yeah. Let's just keep going with this alternative that doesn't affect me at all. Yeah, and I can like, I can like relate to that emotion of like, the kind of like the pain you know versus the pain of doing something different. You know, I even yes. in the process of myself going solar in my home, I'm like, well, wow, like there's some work for me, like working with some common, obviously, to put this thing together. I'm like, oh, my God, it's amazing how much like my Shaw and the lights, you know, like all the RPM, like all the teams that are working to like take a lot of the work off of my hands is incredible. But still, there's like stuff to be done. You know, I'm arranging for an arborist to come see about trimming a tree. Right. It creates some small work for me. And even in there, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the cost of doing something that is going to be better for my long term financial uh, security and environmental impact, right? Like yep. there is an opportunity cost. Um, and so I feel like that's kind of, I mean, on layered on top of that is the fact that they're hurting these BIPOC communities, you know, as a sort of, you know, ethical or moral judgment, it adds a different layer to it. But I also can just relate to the, the basics of like 
the pain I know. Like, I'll just pay my utility bill again and, like, push the, you know, ball down the line. And, like, maybe I'll make that decision next month, year, whatever. So I get that. But it's, like, really important to kind of push back that moment of stasis. Um, It also feels like the communities that you're describing would have much better success with these developers if they, like, if they just ask for what they actually want. If they wanted to minimize the view disturbance, they can, like, request screening plants. They'd have to, like, budget that in, but it's possible. If they want to, you know, minimize viewshed implications, they can put that into their town laws that only places that don't impact major viewsheds would be considered for projects of this size. Or the viewshed could be affected for, like, a hundred people or so on. You know, like, they could make those kinds of rules. But having these long, protracted fights where the objections are constantly moving and then saying the developers didn't consider the community enough when they're constantly changing the goalposts because they just they just basically want it to go away on a project level. I mean, it can be just frustrating for everyone, not just the developers, but imagine being someone in the community who like knows this is a good for now and for the future. And they're just like, yo, the people at the town hall who scream the loudest, what is going on? Like, this hurts the community, the town as well, and the ability to make collective decisions. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think, you know, ultimately, large-scale solar arrays are very likely going to be part of our clean energy future. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not something SunCommon does, but just looking at the array of projects just in New York State that have been approved this year, when you do big projects, you just make so much more progress so much more quickly that it it just is going to be part of the solution, especially if we really want to make good progress in the next 10 years. So, you know... I'm saying that as someone who works in the industry, SunCommon doesn't do big scale stuff. Our parent company does, but we don't. And the reality is we just don't have enough existing rooftops to power New York, to power Vermont. Many sites aren't suited for it. And, you know, still more have owners that simply don't care to make the change. So if we're going to get to the goal of having a clean energy future and we're going to do it in the next 10 years, you know, we're going to need a lot more capacity that isn't on existing buildings. And the most efficient way to do that is in these big projects. Yes. And in fact, as I'm learning, like we're actually in a place right now where big arrays are much more incentivized than small ones because of some of the policies that New York State has in place. Like, first off, permitting is hard, right? Yeah. Like no matter the size. So the fewer of like the individual permits that have to be processed, the better, right? Like that, that, speeds through the change that we need to see in terms of pulling carbon out of the air and producing less uh, through our, our energy system. Secondly, it's it's just a matter of efficiency, right? It's like you get a huge parcel like the, you know, 360 acre thing and you're really, you're kind of like designing it once. It's like one design, one bulk panel order from the manufacturer, one sort of labor group to organize. Um, And it's one big project instead of like lots of piecemeal ones. And that as well creates incredible efficiencies that are handed, you know, down to the community. Yeah. And the efficiency is super important because of the way community solar is compensated by utilities in New York State. So it's not one to one. It's not if the array makes one kilowatt hour of electricity, anybody who subscribed gets credit for that. It's not how it works. If the retail rate of electricity is, say, 15 cents a kilowatt hour, which is about what it is for Central Hudson customers right now, 
the utility doesn't pay the owner of the solar farm 15 cents per kilowatt hour. What they pay actually fluctuates day to day hmm. based on demand and supply and lots of other things. And while there are calculators from NYSERDA to help developers figure out what return they're going to get on their investment, sometimes a big curveball like the pandemic comes in and the value of community generated solar absolutely tanks. And that has scared a lot of developers. They're saying, oh my gosh, you know, the value of this is not matching what the calculator said it was going to be. So now they are pushing to be as efficient as possible because they've realized the value of solar energy for their projects, it's not as safe as they thought it was. You know, things like the pandemic can affect demand so much that the, you know, the predicted value isn't coming to fruition. So that policy is actually incentivizing big projects to make sure that they can be cost effective enough to ensure a return, even if the value of that sort of the big community solar like tanks again, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And and we should just add that, you know, residential and small commercial solar that's on site is not valued that way, right? Correct. Uh, so if you are getting solar at your own site, you don't have to worry about that huge sort of buyback fluctuating value thing. But big community solar arrays and the developers that make them should be concerned with those, those sort of fluctuations. And then the, again, the sort of guarding themselves against those fluctuations through scale, right? right? Okay. Right, okay, so, so where have we ended up here? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like communities often take issues with big solar projects mostly because they don't want to look at them. (laughs) But they don't usually say that, and so you end up with these long, protracted fights that aren't even really talking about the issues that the community really does care about. And that ends up discouraging developers from participating in the conversations, and it's this spiral downward, in some cases, which either ends in clean energy not being installed in really suitable spots, or... It gets installed and the community resents it because they feel railroaded. So both poor outcomes. Yeah, definitely. It's not the best solution to just ram these projects through. Because, I mean, look, we're a part of like a sea change generational shift right now. We need to start seeing the beauty in solar panels, even if not aesthetically, but just for the fact that they're guarding us from ourselves, (laughs) from the worst possible outcome, the worst timeline (laughs) that could possibly occur. You know, but we recommend that communities communicate what they actually want from these projects and that they actually negotiate and find places where they can compromise to derive the greatest value for them. They actually have enormous power. And I mean, this is, you know, if there are NIMBYs in your town hall set, but you are someone who really wants this project to go through, you have a better line into your neighbor who might not appreciate this to like help educate them. And I don't even mean in a fight. I mean, like, not in that public setting, like going and talking to them about why this might be important is a great, you know, one-to-one tactic. When you turn the volume down and when you get out of those big group settings, you can actually have more humane conversations with folks. Yes. And, you know, if you are going to negotiate with these developers, I feel like, I mean, do you know what I would ask for? Oh, go tell us, what would you ask for? I would be like, do you want some free energy for the town? Like, get that built into the deal. How cool would that be? It's like, yep, we welcome solar here. It has to be right-sized. So the view thing, you know, what do you say? It cannot impact the view of more than 50% of the total subscribers. So if the array is going to serve 100 people, it cannot impact the view of more than 50 homes. Okay. 
if the array serves a thousand people, it cannot impact the view of more than 500 homes. Right. I don't know if that ratio is right, but something like that could make a ton of sense. You know, we acknowledge that it will impact the view of some, but we're going to limit that. And you can put in the array, but we require screening plants next to the road. And our community deserves something back for this. So 5% of the array's output should be given to the town. Or maybe all the people who live next to it get free electricity. Anyone who can see it. (laughs) Yeah, like there's so many ways to make it work that don't involve a hard no because we don't want to look at it. Right, and that's really important. It's really important that we figure out those kind of compromises because big arrays are a part of our clean energy future. We need them in addition to the smaller sort of on-site stuff like residential and like commercial. Yeah, we need big systemic change. We need clean energy to be the default that everyone gets. And we can't get there without big arrays that can supply people who don't have the means to have it on site. Well, here we are again, Susanna. Here we are, ending another (laughs) podcast with the call to action of working together to create big systemic change. Mm, could be a theme. I mean, like, yeah, it's like, is that the is that the secret theme of this entire podcast? Collectivization, communalization, yes. localization. But no, seriously, like, hard stops and hard no's, like, those don't get you anywhere. They stop things from happening. And then what? What have we learned? What have we gained? Nada. And there's so much to be gained from their transition to a clean energy future. You know, it's not just... Big companies or small companies, you know, who are, who are getting the money for developing and installing these things. It's, it is very profitable for local jobs in our region. And in fact, these things can really serve the communities in which they're in. Yes. But we have to ask for that. Yeah. And as a commun- on a community level, to develop a voice as a community that doesn't just know how to say no, but understands how to negotiate. Like if you don't negotiate, you haven't negotiated. Right. Right. If anything, all you've done is just created a wall. Exactly. Yeah. We got to keep talking. Keep talking. And we'll keep talking. That was the, and this is the dumbest transition ever. And we'll keep talking on the very <laughs> next episode of this talk cast. <laughs> wow. Um, but no, as as per the huge, I'm Tavi. I'm Susanna. And we are representing Sun Common. Uh, we do residential and light commercial installs in New York, Hudson Valley, Capital Region, and pretty much all of Vermont. And we you can always find us at suncommon.com. Give us a shout, uh, drop us a line, and we'll catch you on the next episode. See you soon, Tavi. See you soon, Susanna.